Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for January has been provided by CashFly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. CashFly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at CashFly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. This week's episode is brought to you by Ting. Ting is a mobile that makes sense. Ting is a mobile service that runs on the Sprint network. So what makes Ting different? Well, first off, they are truly and completely contract-free with no early termination fees or anything else. You pay exactly for what you use for voice minutes, text messages, and megabytes of data, all billed separately. If you use more than more than usual one month, you simply pay for what you used. No need to worry about penalties or overage charges that come with traditional cell phone plans. I'm not sick. I'm just, <laughs> this is good. Think they sound great already? Listen to this. Voicemail, caller ID, tethering, hotspot, three-way calling, call forwarding, and other features are all part of the service. Free. Free. <laughs> when you get to, when you get your bill, you'll never see any mysterious line items either. Ting charges for what you use plus whatever taxes they're legally required to collect. No hidden charges or recovery fees. They also let you have as many devices as you want on one plan sharing pooled minutes, messages, and megabytes. Each device on a plan costs a flat $6 per month. Need to access your account? Take control of your usage and bills in the powerful online control panel and the new Ting Android app. If you ever need any assistance, call them anytime between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. EST, and a real live person will pick up the phone. They're always giving stuff away on their Facebook page, too. Hoodies, jackets, service credits, and Ting socks. So definitely go pick, go visit uh, facebook.com slash Ting. If you want to learn more, support the show and receive $25 off your first device or a Ting $25 service credit, visit 5x5.ting.com. So thanks to Ting for supporting 5x5 and Systematic this week. And my guest this week to join me in my just now recovering from losing my voice is Marco Arment. He is uh, probably needs no introduction, but he is an independent developer, uh, creator of Instapaper, uh, a host of Accidental Tech. He blogs at Marco.org, and uh, he has a thousand projects going on. How's it going, Marco? Uh, pretty well, thanks. How are you? <laughs> I think it's you're okay if you don't if you're saying something that you're not enthusiastic about. <laughs> you have a better. T- so let's just keep it boring today. Well, I had to cancel on you yesterday because if I even <laughs> chuckled a little, I would break out coughing. It was horrible. Oh, it's variety. Variety. Right, coughing is variety. Well, yeah, because you know you don't usually sound like this in the show. So any any variance is like it's like a surprise new guest in the show. Do you find this voice sexy? Does this sound sexy at all? I won't even pretend to know what is sexy and what isn't. Uh, and every time I have tried, I have failed or been laughed at. Well, for the record, my wife says this is sexy. It sounds like a reasonable theory. <laughs> So you have been, you've been, uh, developing. How long have you been like an independent developer? Well, I, I guess I first became independent in like doing this full time. So I, I've, I've been making things on the side forever. You know, first I had my site. I, I did a bunch of side projects of just, you know, for my own needs and scripts and stuff like that for as long as I can remember. Um, but my first side project that anybody knew about was Instapaper. Which I started in 2008, but then I didn't actually take it full time until late 2010. So, what did it do for two years there? Well, I started it as a side project while I was still working full time at Tumblr, and uh, and so I 
and I, I've always been very risk averse, so I didn't want to take it full time without, you know, some kind of, you know, push or nudge. And, and Tumblr, when I left, Tumblr was changing dramatically as it grew. And my job was burning me out very quickly. And, uh, and so it was, it was a very good time for me to leave Tumblr. And so I was like, Hey, you know, I have this thing on the side rather than get a new job immediately. Let me try doing this for a while. And it seemed to have worked out. Yeah. And, and now I'm hooked and now, um, I'm unemployable in that I, I, my tolerance for doing what I'm told by anybody else was never very good to begin with, but now it's shot. I mean, now it's gone. So I have no tolerance for anybody else telling me what to do, and I also have no tolerance for working on things I don't care about. And so that's going to make me a pretty terrible employee for anybody else pretty much forever. I have realized the same thing about myself as of recent. Uh, Congratulations. That's, it, you're probably a little bit scared still, but it works out. You'll see. Well, I, I have to keep reminding myself that everything's going to be okay because I've done the math. Everything's going to be fine. But it is, uh, it's, a, it's a leap to not have that, um, that guaranteed paycheck. Well, the biggest thing that, that people need to think of, well, there's two things. One is health insurance. And so some people can just use their spouse's health insurance. Some people have to get it on their own. The thing to keep in mind with that is it doesn't have to be, especially with the new, um, the new policies here in the U.S., it doesn't have to be like a big dramatic thing that you must have a boss somewhere else to get health insurance. It's just a number. You have to pay it every month, and you can get it yourself. And now it's actually easier to get it yourself, but even when I was doing it you know, three years ago, two years ago, uh, it was still not bad. It, you know, it was just, it's just a number, and you add it to your expenses, and that's it. The second thing to realize is that that regular guaranteed paycheck is not guaranteed, and, and job security is a complete myth. And you, know, you worked for AOL, right? Correct. Has AOL ever laid people off? <laughs> exactly. See, like it's there is no job security when you when you have a job working for somebody else. At least at least when it's you, you know, when it's somebody else, you're depending on not only the market to keep supporting the company you're working for in some way, but then you're also depending on the company you're working for to keep supporting you. That's that's two different people who have more control than you. Uh, when it's just you, you cut one of them out. So you respond only to the market now. So it's still not reliable. Nothing's ever reliable or guaranteed when it comes to your own income. This is um, all true. But you know, it's now you have more control over it, and there are actually fewer things that can go wrong to cause your paycheck to stop. I, I, I suppose that's true as well. See, like you have a, a subscription service, so you can estimate how much. I mean, based on over time, you can see any fluctuations that are going to happen and you can estimate what your income is going to be. And well, right now I don't, well, okay. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. When I still, when I still owned Instapaper, I had sure. that. Um, but yeah, right. I mean, but even, you know, right now I, and you have, you have the same thing. I have very diverse income now. Like I have, and you know, people talk about diversity and in investments. You shouldn't put all your money in stocks, et cetera. And, and that's very good advice. Uh, and then people don't apply that same logic to their income streams. And, and it's very important to, you know, for, for, for a few years now, I've had, I, I've been working very hard to diversify, to protect myself from like, you know, if any one market of mine that causes my income collapses, or if any one of my products um, suddenly becomes irrelevant or gets overtaken by competitors or whatever, I can still have enough income to be okay. 
you know, and so I have, I have the blog, I have ads on the blog from two different sources. Even I have the podcast, I have ads on the podcast and I sometimes have apps in the, in the app store and yeah. <laughs> get money from those. And so those, not only are those three different income streams, but they're also pretty different types of income and with pretty different, um, behavior over time and pretty different risks associated with them. So it's unlikely that I'm ever going to have zero income, you know, and, and that, you know, I've seen you've been putting yourself in that position over the last few years where you're, you're building that same kind of diversity and that's very important. Yeah. Well, and that's been a goal for sure. It's been a conscious effort. Do you have a plan like D do you have, do you like make pottery or anything? Not really. I, I've always thought it might be interesting to like open a coffee shop or something, but the reality of that kind of business is very different from the dream of, of maybe someday I'll do that. You know, the reality of doing something like that is way more work and way more risky and, and way less profitable than, than you probably think. Wow. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't really have any other plans. I, my plan is basically I've, I've gotten good over time at figuring out ways to monetize the things that I would do as hobbies anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm lucky enough that the things I do as hobbies could have some money in them. And that's that's what I'm getting right this time, I think. Because last time I jumped into this, I I opened a design studio, I I got office space, I hired people, and we just we went like balls out to to be the best design studio. And we were completely unprepared and I'm horrible at business and I sunk it. And at the same time I was investing in uh my wife opened up a uh, pet boutique and it was like a retail setting and we were just completely unprepared for these kind of because uh, all these clients and customers and all of this real world stuff that eventually became a drag and it just kind of crumbled in on itself and this time I'm really I'm taking the stuff I was doing anyway the stuff I was staying up nights to do because I was working a day job during the day it was it, it was stuff that I really, really loved and was already making some money at, and I'm just making that full time. And I feel like that's a smart way to go. Oh, very. I mean, you know, what your description of, of your first attempt, um, you know, you said it was, it was balls out and include lots of employees, lots of these like hard expenses, the retail store, stuff like that. These are all like very hard expenses, very big expenses. Um, my strategy is balls in. You know, I, I try to do like, like the, the most like gradual conservative things I can do because for, I mean, that's just my personality. I'm, I'm not a, a very, you know, big risk taker generally. I, I've been trying to get better at that, but that's a very slow progression. I'm probably never going to be a huge risk taker, but you know, the things, what you're doing now is low risk. You already know it works. Taking it full time is not going to require tons more capital it's not going to require tons of employees. I mean, that's oh, uh, I had I had a full time employee uh, f- for a little while with Instapaper, and I'm still today. I had to mail in a check for twelve dollars to New York Unemployment Insurance for some some underpayment that I supposedly made I like a year that. ago. I did three hundred sixty five dollars like, last week. Right. It's like having employees at all. Like just having more than zero full-time employees, as you know, it is so. It's so much additional paperwork, so much additional cost, so much additional complexity to the business just to comply with unemployment, workers' comp, payroll, stuff like that. Uh, I don't think I will ever do that again. I think I'm going to avoid needing full-time employees in the future. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm of the same uh, philosophy at this point. There are people I would like to give jobs to that I've worked with in the past that are really, really good at what they do. But for an independent developer, it seems like, and I've seen I've seen a few developers have to release people recently that have worked with them for a long time, and that alone, that's got to be hard. Yeah, I would I would take that very hard if I if I had to like lay somebody off like or fire them, but it, you know especially especially if I had to lay them off because like I was failing as the business owner like that I I would take that very hard. I don't think I could do that. Yeah, and I, I consider it best not to put myself in that position. Exactly, and you know, and there's there's lots of things that you need employees for. Uh, you know, as you know, <laughs> lots of businesses out there need a lot of manpower. Fortunately, the kind of stuff we do doesn't. Well, we can and contract so it's, out. It's an option. But yeah, and that's the thing. Like, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to like avoid paying people's benefits or anything like that. I, I want to just avoid the complexity. You know, I would happily pay full time employees with full benefits if it was not a lot of paperwork, not a lot of time. Whenever I get some new thing I have to deal with from the New York board of whatever, it just like it crushes my energy for the next few hours. I'm just like, oh, why did I ever do this? This was a huge mistake. It wasn't worth it. And yeah, I, it's just. I'm very happy to support contractors as much as I as much as I can. Really, I, I I had to look it up, but I found the word for your personality type. Cryptorchidism. Is it one of those? Nice. It's a birth defect involving one or both testicles not descending. That's yeah. That's it. Balls in. <laughs> balls in entrepreneurialism right here. This is uh, all right. So that's talk the about title our balls of the show. Startups. Balls in entrepreneurialism. I don't, I don't have time to type that. That's yeah. Put a marker down. Some editor might catch it. I don't know. I have. I, I know you're, you're working on a, 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 a podcast app right now. I've had dreams of making a, a podcast recording app with like a full iPhone interface where I can just tap as I record and record notes and markers and then have it all synced together. I, I have a whole mind map about it, but um, it, it's never come to fruition. But you're working on a, a not so secret. Uh, a podcast listening app right now, right? That's right. Yeah, um, I announced it at uh, at XOXO last uh, October, I think. And uh, yeah, it's called Overcast. It's coming along. It's not done yet, but it's it is coming along. And uh, yeah, it's it, I, I'm looking forward to releasing it. I there's still a lot to do to release it, but you know, it's not dead. It's not vaporware. It is very real. I've been using it full time myself for four months, and. Uh, can't wait to show it to everybody. Awesome. I, I, I don't do well with that excitement, uh, with keeping, uh, keeping things private. I always want to throw betas out there and pri- pr- prior to their readiness. Yeah, it's, it's hard, you know, and, and part of my XOXO talk was actually about kind of this. It's that, you know, I'm always, I'm always trying to strike this balance between, you know, I want to share everything I'm doing. I want to, show it off. I want people to like it. I want people to give feedback. I, you know, I, I want all those things, but I also don't want to be ripped off constantly. And in my previous industry, that happened a lot. And so I think I'm kind of oversensitive to it. I, I think in reality, I shouldn't care about that. And I, and I shouldn't worry too much about that. Cause the, the fact is if you have a good idea, people are going to copy it. I've copied other people's good ideas. It's going to happen. It's no big deal. Um, but it's like part of my personality that I'm still, that still hurts me a lot when that happens. So I'm still very paranoid about these ideas I have either, either somebody else copying them or worse, somebody else beating me to it just by having the idea on their own. 
and you know some other podcast app releasing this cool thing I thought was unique to me, and then I'm like, ah, oh, that wasn't unique at all. So uh, what was that? I don't I don't even have Game Center installed, and Game Center on my Mac is alerting me that someone just beat a challenge I never made. <laughs> that this is cloud. creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry about that. That's okay. Um. Well, let's take a quick sponsor break, and then I want to talk about uh, the the time management that goes into developing apps and blogging and having all these diverse income uh, streams. Sure. All right. So I'm going to try another sponsor read. I'll take it slow and try not to get too excited so my voice doesn't get all crackly. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Oh, you're going to have a hard time. Squarespace is awesome. Yeah, I know. I just, there's a, a, I I don't know enough about this blog that I should be promoting them, but it's a really good looking blog called Hey Cupertino. And uh-huh. they're on Squarespace and it's just, it's gorgeous. I'll check it out. Um, I'm sure I, I'm sure it's a common Squarespace look, but I love it. Anyway, um, Squarespace is the all in one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code New Years. Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, and more support. They have beautiful templates for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust so you can really create your own space online. Squarespace takes care of hosting, SEO, and even makes sure your site automatically looks great on any device. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, over 70 Squarespace employees are on the customer care team, which is based in New York City. Squarespace truly cares about design, and it really shows throughout their entire site, which they're always updating with fun new branding that has won numerous design awards. They have two brand new iOS apps for Squarespace customers. Squarespace Blog, which lets you easily draft, post, schedule, and review posts, as well as monitor and manage comments on your blog. Squarespace Blog is fully integrated with Layout Engine, allowing you to easily format text or markdown, tap and drag images within your post, and modify detailed post settings on the go. Squarespace also has Squarespace Metrics, which allows you to monitor website analytics like KPIs and page views and unique visitors, and projections and charts for your website are at your fingertips, as well as iOS 7 updates for Note and Portfolio. Don't forget about audio collections for musicians and the amazing new 3D visualizer for shipping. As I said earlier, you can try Squarespace for free, no credit card required. And if you decide to purchase, it starts at just $8 a month. That includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. Also, make sure to get 10% off and support the show by using the offer code New Year's. So, thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and Systematic. Okay, so... And everything else. Yeah, every, everything. And everywhere. my show and everyone else's show that I listen to. Squarespace is everywhere. Awesome. They even have cool commercials on TV. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen those. Well, I don't, yeah, I'm one of those guys, you know. <laughs> one of those I don't watch TV guys? No, I watch tons of TV, just not <laughs> just through like iTunes and Netflix. Uh, well, they're on Hulu and they have a commercial that is it's very professionally done, but there's one scene where I think it's the mixing board shot. If you If you watch closely, there's a black cat. It's like on a black table, so it's hard to see. There's a black cat that runs off the screen, and I want to know if there's a story behind that cat. Or maybe it was just like it was there. You know, cats, 
cat I, i'm not a cat person mostly because i'm allergic to them but uh but it seems like cats have this immensely sharp talent of always being maximally in the way <laughs> and so maybe that was all that was like there just happened to be a cat in the neighborhood they were shooting this in and it was like you know what i can be most in the way if i go sit on this table right in this shot there was this great uh it was like a commercial for dog food or cat food i mean that i think is frank did the voiceover for and he talks he was explaining he was from the perspective of a cat explaining how it was their job to take care of these humans and one of the things these humans do is they get lost in these light boxes which is a laptop and the cat's <laughs> job was to come between the human and the light box and and to spare them from from becoming lost in it and i found it very uh it's it's just it's true it's funny cuz it's true that's fantastic. All right. So so you have all of these projects going. And you probably have more going on than you publicize. Not as, really. <laughs> <laughs> as a new independent developer, I'm curious, how do you make sure that what you're working on is going to pay the bills? Like I've only do I've been doing this for two days and I found myself putting a lot of time into marked, which I feel is is valid. I'm working on getting it on the app store. But in the process, I failed to finish the three other projects that I really need to move forward in order to get them to a point where they make money. So how do you, how do you balance your time like that? Well, the short answer is I don't. And the long answer is, is why that works. Um, so, so yeah, the, the short version basically is that I'm terrible at managing my time. I, I don't do a good job of it at all. I don't follow any kind of structure or to-do list or anything like that. Uh, I don't do getting things done. I don't do inbox zero, uh, trademark, Merlin man, copyright, whatever. And I, I don't really do any kind of routine or regimen except that I have coffee most mornings. Um, <laughs> you know, the reason why it works, uh, there's two reasons. One is that I've, I've set appropriate expectations in the things I do. And, and I've taken on an appropriate amount of work for the time that I know I'm going to allot to it. So my site does not post every day. I don't promise to post every day. I very rarely post more than one thing a day. Uh, you know, I'm not doing like a daring fireball amount of volume of like having you know, five or six links a day or more. God, he does, he does so many links. Uh, you know, I, I can't keep up with that kind of stuff. So I, I don't promise it. I don't even start it. I don't, I just, my site is going to be posts when I have time, when I feel like I have something to say and that's it. And that just so happens that I, that's, you know, every few days usually, and that's fine. And the advertisers know it. The readers know it. Everyone knows it. Expectations are met. It's fine. The podcast has its own schedule. It's every week and I do it with two other people and we all make money only if we do it every week. And so I, I do that because it's a scheduled thing and it's, and I know that like, if I don't feel like doing it one week, I'm hurting these other people as well. So I do it every week, no matter what. And mostly because I like doing it. So the podcast kind of takes care of itself because it has a real deadline. And the app is where I have the most trouble, of course, because the app is the only thing that's not like time pressured at all, really. Um, except that I would like to start making more money from it, you know. So <laughs> besides that, that's the only real, especially because I have income from the other things, the app is, is like less pressing to get it out. So that's where I have to really 
push myself. And it's also where I have the most difficulty because, you know, I'm having like 1.0 syndrome where I'm having a lot of trouble deciding what to cut from 1.0 and realizing that I'm not going to have time to ship all these things I wanted to ship in 1.0. So I'm to the point now where I'm like delaying things, cutting things, trying to finish things up so I can ship them so I can get it out sometime soon. Um, But I don't do a great job of it. It, it, All of this only works again, because I've set the expectations. Like the audience knows they're going to get ATP every week. They know that my site's going to have a few posts a week. You know, probably not more than that. I need to set those expectations. I felt really bad because I I requested, uh, like, uh, reader supported uh, subscriptions on my blog, and a lot of people responded. And then I didn't post for two days, and I've been feeling really guilty about that. But you're making me feel a little better. I will well, come through. Let me give you one data point. Uh, when I was running the magazine. Yet another thing I did that I no longer yeah. have. <laughs> when I briefly ran the magazine, um, one of the things that we had that we kind of battled with was how many articles do you publish? Because if you publish too few, people we we figured people would feel like they weren't getting their money's worth. Um, but if you publish too many, they start piling up, and people don't have time to read them, and they kind of feel guilty that they're paying for these things they're not reading, and they cancel. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's it, you know you're kind of screwed either way to some level. So you have to find this very difficult balance of, you know, what is a useful amount to post. And so if, you know, for your purposes, I think people who are paying to support you, especially because people are paying to support you, effectively before you took it full time. You know, because like you're you announced you were taking it full time and said, by the way, please pay please pay me to support this, right? So. You're not saying, please pay because you've already seen what I'm going to do full-time. This is like a speculative thing. Pay me because of what I will be doing over the next you know, months, years, whatever. And so the people who have already paid are probably your biggest fans. They're not going to get on your back, at least not enough of them to matter. You know? <laughs> there's, always, there's always some. <laughs> but, but they're not going like, you know, get, to get on your back about you didn't post for two days. You know, they, these people are your biggest fans. They're, they're supporting you not because they want to see you post every single day, but because they want to support everything you've done up till now. And they just want you to keep doing what you like. That's what this is. And, and that's, that's why I felt like that request was probably a good plan because I think people like they like to support things that they're already enjoying. It's almost a right. freemium model. That's why that works. Yeah. Right? It's, you know, people are not like it's not like a store where you walk in like all right, I want to try this. I will pay you $5. You give me this. It's not that at all. It's people are paying to support you who they already like. You know, they're they're probably already getting value out of you from everything you've done over the last billion years with you know all these all these tools you've made, all these posts you've made, all this data you've collected. Like you've provided people tons of value over the years. And anybody who supports you going full time yesterday, whenever this was, <laughs> very recently, uh two days ago, yeah. anybody who supports that, uh, they're supporting your back catalog as well. And, and that's that's why they're doing it. Well, I appreciate the uh, encouragement, but enough about me. Let's talk about you. <laughs> so you got you got this time management thing that you don't do, <laughs> and right. and you found that it works for you. Like I've always said, and I've said it on this podcast that like the blessing in my previous job was like I worked from home, 
I more or less had my own schedule. I worked on what I felt motivated to work on at any given time. And that was a form of time management on its own because eventually my brain would usually come around to a task that needed to be done, even if I procrastinated doing something else first. Like eventually I would find, find the spot, except for really overwhelming tasks that my brain would just completely block out. But now, like, I don't, there's something different going on. I'm trying to do it all now. Like I'm super excited. Maybe this will chill out. But do you find that like, do you know what you want to work on at any given time? Or do your projects kind of take priority over each other? It's it's very informal and unstructured. I basically, whatever I, I mean, you know, the, when I sit down to work to do something, there's only really two things that matter. It's first, what what can I do right now? You know, if I know I only have 20 minutes, I'm not going to jump into some code because I know I can't finish it. Um, but a lot of it is just, I will do whatever I feel like doing at that moment. You know, because as I said, like there's, unless there's something pressing, like if it's, if it's a Thursday morning, I'm editing the podcast, you know, because I have to edit the podcast on Thursday mornings to get it out on time. So I know what I have to do then, but can, pretty much any other time, you know, I'm just doing what I feel like doing and, you know, trying to keep things roughly in balance. Like if I haven't posted to my blog for a week, I'll be like, you know what? I should, I should really write something or I should, I should, you know, link to this thing I wanted to link to the other day and didn't get around to it. Uh, but usually, you know, my interests have always kind of shifted day to day. Like some days I'll be, I'll have a really good coding day. Some days I'll have a really good writing day. And I've always kind of oscillated between those things as like a self-balancing thing of just whatever my brain feels like doing at that moment. Yeah, and that's what I'm so talking So I don't need about. to enforce that, you know, structurally. Have you ever tried? Have you ever said like Tuesdays for coding, Wednesdays for writing? Nope, not one bit. I, I've listened to enough Merlin to know that that's a bad <laughs> idea. Oh, I should listen to more Merlin. I should listen to more everybody. Everyone should. That's why I do the podcast, so everyone can just come to me and tell me all the stuff I need to hear. That's why I live in New York. People <laughs> come here, I don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> nice. Um, so I got to ask you, I, I have a mug that you made, or have made. <laughs> you have the useless mug? I do. It's my favorite yes, I mug. I handmade every single one of them. <laughs> tell me, in, in, uh, in less than 50 words, do you think App Store ratings will ever be fixed? I should no. wait. Let me let me first tell listeners what this mug word. is. It, it's a uh, it's a review from from your app, Instapaper, right? It's not a real one. It's it's different sentences from it were right. taken from real ones. It, it's kind of an amalgamation of a few real ones based in a certain amount of reality, though. Yeah, totally. And it has a line in it that says, this doesn't even support Google Buzz. Yeah, that, I, I, I'm i pretty sure I made that up. <laughs> oh, I was hoping that was real. But the, I think the like the username is is almost one of the real usernames. Um, it, like, the, the I forget what it even says. It, for, it's not on my desk in the evenings. It's only on my desk in the mornings. I can't believe I paid money for this. That, that's, that's a real <laughs> review. Yeah, there's, like, everything, and, and, of course, the title, useless. Because yeah. that's like that, that's like my favorite app store thing. Is like everybody says everything is useless if it doesn't work for them. If it doesn't do exactly <laughs> what know? they thought it was going to do. 
Right. If it has like, if it does 90% of what they want and it's missing one little feature, useless. <laughs> I got one. I, I had a, a, a review that was upvoted. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Marked, but it's a previewer only. It doesn't, uh, yep. it doesn't edit anything. And, uh, and the review was useless. Uh, you can't even use command N to start a new document. <laughs> And you can't reply to them. So, so back to the right. question: Do you do you think there's room to fix App Store ratings? Oh, sure. There's tons of room. I just don't think it's going to happen. And, and is that because of stubbornness on Apple's part, or do you think it's just too ingrained in the App Store as is? Or I think it's mostly apathy on Apple's part, and, and you know, in the sense that you can look at you can look at the App Store as a whole and, and all the different policies, but especially the mechanics of the app store the way the store actually has worked the structure of the app pages the categories therein the the fields you enter the fields you have available to you the media you have available to you uh, as a developer and as a customer it really has not changed much since the introduction in 2008 right. that was a long time ago and it really and any and the app store itself was really just a, kind of an extension of the iTunes music store and and a lot of that kind of shows through in in bad ways. Um, I feel like iTunes had better search. Uh, maybe, but I like, I, you know, well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know think search on the app store is though. search on the app store is not actually as bad as as for me as most people think. Um, that could just be me though. I don't actually well, install that many. It's new apps. good if you know what you're looking for. Yes, exactly. Yes, if I you're agree. if you're trying to like, I mean, Google is amazing at related content and. Amazon is amazing at related content. The App Store pretty much is keyword only. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the, the relevancy for non non-exact name searches is pretty pretty bad. Even pluralizations get lost. Yeah. But you know, but you know, to back to the question, I think it's because you know, and, and, and in the bigger picture Apple doesn't really emphasize or has shown any ability to to do services well. Uh, you know that's that's bigger picture, and the App Store is a service. And but you know even even more specific to this, I just think you can look at what they've done with the App Store, and and they've they've basically just been doing the same thing for five years or however long it's been. And I don't see that really changing. I mean, they they do make minor improvements over time, but most of that is in policy stuff. You know, maybe it, maybe it, maybe iTunes Connect becomes a little bit less bad by adding a certain convenience feature or adding another field somewhere. But for the most part, the way the store works has pretty much been the same this whole time. There's been very very few public facing changes, and so to do something as drastic as improve the review system or fix the review system or get rid of the review system, uh, I don't see any of those things happening in any meaningful way. I find that a little bit frustrating. I, I guess. It's most frustrating to me because I feel like Apple should be making more of an effort to help the really dedicated good developers instead of letting them be buried by crap. And well, maybe that's not their crap? responsibility. Uh, fart apps are crap. It's Well, but know. fart apps aren't winning. What's winning the top charts are games full of in-app purchases and spamming your friends that gets more game installs and more in-app purchases. I would say pretty much anything you see on a top or top grossing list, uh, Apple probably considers a success because it's doing everything Apple wants it to do. 
Uh, you know, just because that's it, it's getting installed on tons of devices. Maybe it's iOS only or iOS first. Uh, there's a pretty good chance of that, and it's using in-app purchase and these, you know, all these other things. So that's making tons of people not only happy with their iOS devices by installing these, you know, new fun games or whatever, but it's also making them spend more money of which Apple gets a cut of everything. And it's getting to be a pretty big cut these days, yeah. <laughs> like a pretty, pretty big total amount that they're, that they're getting there. And so I don't think Apple really cares to, to make dramatic changes. I, I do think they want to do minor course corrections over time, but I don't, I don't see them ever making a dramatic change like, you know, something like like trials or um or upgrade pricing or you know any anything that would that would kind of help like the old guys in a <laughs> store if that if that makes sense like that would like help like the old guys or like the conservative you know high quality geek boutique apps um but that wouldn't really be useful to electronic arts see well, you know, i don't see that happening this is the part that i always gloss over is apple has the app store to make money and i i forget like I, I guess I think of like the the circle of developers that I know and these people that are making really good apps that accomplish really good ideas, and I think of that as the cream of the crop. But from a financial perspective, that's upside down. Like a lot of those apps are not big money makers, and they don't hit ninety percent of Apple's overall audience. Oh, not yeah, not ninety nine percent. I mean. <laughs> You know, we, you have to keep in mind with the App Store that yes, it has it has all of these like feature areas and top lists and everything else that drive tons of downloads. Um, but it's such a big place now. There are so many people. There are so many developers. There are so many apps that you have to treat it more like the internet, the web, and you have to you, you have to stop relying on Apple to do your marketing for you. You know, you you as a developer, you have to drive people to your app yourself somehow and the same way people have had to do with websites forever because well not forever you know since basically since the since the mid 90s at least uh when the internet became too big for directories and portals to really make a lot of sense and and so when you launch an app you can't expect apple and the app store to bring customers pounding through the door for no reason you know you have to do something to to cause that to happen and you have to manage that and you have to have a good enough app that that's going to happen. You know, in in the early days of the App Store, the standards were much lower because there just wasn't as much there, and people, you know, people's uh, expectations were lower. The devices could do less. Um, there was so little competition in pretty much every category that it was very easy to launch and and quote win. You know, to, to launch and be successful in some way. I mean, if I launched Instapaper 1.0 uh, in today's App Store, it would it would sell effectively zero copies forever. Like it would not sell anything. And even if, and, and, you know, that's because 1.0 was awful. <laughs> you know, it was, it was all like, you know, raw UI kit, these big buttons with giant text labels. Cause I didn't know how to draw anything. It was horrible. But through all that, look, suppose I released a new read later service today. The read later category is still very small. But it's big enough, and it's entrenched enough, and the expectations for that kind of service are big enough. You can't just have a website and and a basic iPhone app enter that market today. You have to have iPhone, Android, Kindle, web, and then native apps on all those platforms if possible. 
and all these different, you know, external service support and all these crazy, you know, your own text parser, all this stuff. The category got so big that I think any newcomer who comes in today is going to have a really tough time. And that's a really small category relative to everything else that's out there, you know? And so I think the App Store, and this is kind of part of, part of consumer tech and, and web stuff as well, uh, the App Store is very crowded now. It's very, very crowded. Isn't it easier, though, to dominate a small category? You get a couple big players in, like, you get, like, Pocket and, uh, what's the other one? Readability? Isn't Readability Pocket now? No, it's two different things. I don't know what, I don't know what they're doing. I haven't paid attention, honestly. I'm, and I'm very happy not to. <laughs> no, I mean, you get a couple big players in there like that, and that is really hard to break into. But I would think if, if, if they're a very diverse category with a ton of potential customers, you take like the password utilities that are coming out lately, and some of them are are making the top grossing list higher than one password. And I don't consider any of them better than one password, but they're hitting audiences that previously may never even have heard of one password. Yeah, I, but you know, I think again, like look at what it takes to be competitive in that market too. You have to have multi-platform apps. You have to have some kind of sync solution. Like there's, there's all strong the and strong encryption. I mean, that's, and that's no joke. Like that's, that's not easy to do. And, and that's the kind of thing, like it's one of those horrible things where you have to invest tons and tons of time and money and engineering resources into something that most people will never know about, <laughs> but they just expect to work perfectly. Like, and you know, you'll get, you'll get no thanks for it at all. It, you know, you'll it'll just be like, that's expected to work and expected to be perfect and awesome. Um, but you know, like I, I think, Again, like going back to the original point, you can't rely on Apple to do this. You have to fight your own way into getting attention and getting a customer base. Have you ever paid for advertising? I have actually. I've I've bought a few podcast ads, and and uh, I even one of the biggest things I did was I bought ads on the Howard Stern show, uh, live reads from Howard. Really? Yeah, it was can, pretty cool. Can I'd, I ask what what price range that's in? Uh, it was uh, uh, four. You figures. don't have to tell me four figures. Yeah. yeah, and well, four figures each, <laughs> yeah. I should say, uh, each ad. Um, but so I, I bought a few of those, thinking it would do something, and it did something. But uh, I don't think I made money on it. The, the problem is that when I was selling this app for three to five dollars one time, and, and you know, some portion of the users would become monthly subscribers, but it was a pretty small portion, really. Um, so it, for the most part, I can expect to get like at most a few dollars from somebody it's very hard to to have advertising that's effective enough especially like you know with something like this where you have to have an iPhone for it to really matter you have to care about this you have to want this you have to then buy a paid app you know it was very hard to make money on that because typically like when you do a podcast ad or a radio ad or something like that the cost of each actual customer you acquire might be 5 or 10 dollars Sure. And so, if you're only if you're selling a three dollar app, or if your if your profit is only three dollars after everyone's cut, uh, you're gonna have a hard time making that work. Yeah. So it, I didn't. I never. I don't consider any of the ads I did uh, successful in in profit. And they, they did certainly spread the word and get more users. And then, of course, it's very hard to know. It's like, do do any of those users lead to more users, more profit, subscribers? You know, you don't really know. Um, it's just kind of a shot in the dark. So it, it's hard to know. It really is. I mean, I used to work in advertising and I, I, I get all the core concepts 
And I still find it very difficult to measure, especially with app sales, especially in the app store where we have like so few analytics other than actual sales. Um, right. But I, and the, you know, there are things like like Tapstream, a, a frequent sponsor of my site. Disclaimer: uh, that like they there are companies like that that try to uh, try to associate people like th- through a short link, and then they'll record the IP or the cookie or something. So they'll try to figure out like if that person then buys your app or something. Like there's there are ways you can do it that that try to approximate this, but none of them can be that perfect because you're right. Apple's App Store sales are a black box, and you don't you have no clue as a developer where your sales are coming from in the app store, whether it's coming from people who search for your app by name, which is very different from people who are searching by different keywords, that are just generic keywords, or people who are who browse a category list or a top 25 list. Like You have no clue. Whether it's, if it's a feature by Apple, no clue. And that All would be you get really is useful information. I would love. I would, just, I would love to know, even as simple as browsing categories versus search. Even if that was the only breakdown they did, that would be massively helpful. Absolutely. And I if mean, they could also then give search keywords, that would be even more helpful. Definitely. But I, 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 again, I'm not holding my breath on that. I'm currently selling marked outside of the App Store, and I love having my Google Analytics. So I can, I can show myself how many downloads happened on a day, and then I can look seven days from then when the trial expires and see how many of those turned into purchases and I can see a conversion rate. I can track what ads came into the site. I can track what keywords were searched for. I can even see what help topics people are most frequently checking out. And all of that data is so much more helpful than anything I had when I was in the app store. Yet I'm headed back to the app store now. <laughs> well, you got to go where the customers are. Yes. Simple well, as and that. People, people really overall appreciate the universal like updates and and support and all of this that the app store kind of consolidates for them. I mean, like when you go to install your apps on a new computer to just pop up one window and click a bunch of install buttons, that is really handy. Oh yeah, I mean, I when the, when the Mac App Store first came out, I bought everything in the Mac App Store that I possibly could buy, uh, rather than going everyone else. Knowing as a developer, knowing they would make you know twenty twenty nine percent more if I did it through their site, I would still buy it through the App Store because of that factor. Like, yeah, I get, I get about a new computer a year on average, and you know between laptop and desktop, you know, average about one a year, and uh, and so it's nice being able to just. Put stuff over and, and do all that. It's it's so nice and easy to have that, and to not have to deal with people's serial numbers and and registration files and their, their server being down and all this crap. And I, I think what changed that though is when the sandboxing rules hit, and then so many apps that were in the app store pulled out, yeah. and then it's like, well, I bought this app and now I'm, it's kind of stranded until they make a different upgrade scheme, and then it's all that convenience is out the window. And now it's even harder. And yeah, but I think that's mostly calmed down now. I think pretty much everything that that was going to leave the app store for sandboxing probably already did. So I think that's that factor is probably finished now. What do you think? I I think Apple set the, uh, the standard when they released the the Final Cut Pro and Logic updates as new applications, and I think that. Like applications that were leaving the app store because they needed an upgrade path have been told how it's going to be. Oh yeah, definitely that. Yeah. And the apps that left because of sandboxing. Yeah. I'd say 
I mean, pretty much you can't, you can't even update your app unless you're sandbox now. So if you can't do that, you're going to leave the app store. And I think that's the exodus is probably over. Maybe people will start working their way back. We'll see. Did you talk yourself into a new Mac Pro? I did, yeah. Although I, I talked myself down from my initial very pricey configuration to a slightly less pricey configuration. It was still with mind-blowing specs, even at bare minimum, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... It, from from all the... I mean, I don't have it yet, but from all the reviews, it sounds like an amazing computer. And you know, I've I've used I, I've I've used a Mac Pro as my, as my primary computer now since 2008 when the when the early 2008 Mac Pro came out, and uh, it really is different. And I tried oh no actually because there was there was a window uh, about two years ago where I tried to switch back to a laptop full time, which I did for years. I, like I, I was using laptops full time for years. Went to the Mac Pro, decided you know what. Let me try switching back to a laptop. There, it, there's so many convenience factors that you get from having just one computer and having everything on it, and having a nice laptop is very is very convenient in lots of ways. Uh, so I thought, let me switch back, and and I really felt it. You know, not only did I feel, you know, in benchmarks, the performance looks like it's a lot closer to the laptops and iMacs uh, than you might think, but in practice, the performance is very differently characterized. It's not only is everything very fast, and, and you have things like faster buses, um, you have you know wider PCI Express stuff, fewer weird controllers in the middle, you know stuff like that. But then you also have benefits like ECC RAM and high-end video card or high-end GPUs and um, and extremely effective cooling with tons and tons of headroom that all add up to a much more stable computer. And a much more graceful computer at handling heavy loads, and so that's why I really like the Mac Pro. It's not necessarily because it's always faster, because in some in some benchmarks it's not, uh, or it's close. It's because overall it is rock stable, and it handles high load with grace. You will barely hear any difference in the fans, even with the old ones. The new ones, people say they can't hear a difference. Uh, you know, the fans don't spin up audibly. It's not like weirdly hot next to all the components, and you're kind of worrying, like, I wonder if this is going to hurt it long term, <laughs> you know? Like, and and it's a cleaner desk. Like, I I tried running the laptop in clamshell mode, and which has its own weird weirdnesses these days, and bugs and workarounds, and weird heat issues with that, and laptop GPU problems with that, and it was, it, I didn't have a good experience when I tried switching back, basically, <laughs> to make a long story short. <laughs> okay, well. Good luck with your new Mac Pro. I still have my uh, my work Mac Pro. I have to send it back this week. But I've been I've been pretty much MacBook Air only, connected to a twenty seven inch Thunderbolt display. And that's See, if I was great. if I was going to do side by side like the Mac on like the MacBook on a stand, external keyboard, mouse, monitor. That I did that for years, and that's a very nice setup. That's what but I'm recording I, on right now. Yeah, it's a very nice setup. But I found that I really like having. The cleaner desk and having one just one big monitor rather than trying to split my attention between two monitors, and as I said, as I said, clamshell mode didn't work well for me, and and so that's I, I'm just a desktop person, I guess. Yeah, I get it. Um, I, I will say that my I, I keep my air open. It's a 13 inch, but that screen is purely auxiliary. It's where I drag like like Sparkle update windows that are taking too long to download, and I don't <laughs> yeah. want to lose them under all the other windows. I'll drag it over there. That's pretty much all it does. Or it runs like Hulu 
now that we can switch full screen apps independently, that's, yeah. Anyway, I know we're going to run long anyway, but I'm going to cut to, <laughs> <Told you so. laughs> I'm going to cut to our third sponsor, which I'm very excited about. Uh, Smile is back with Text Expander, which is one of my all time favorite Mac utilities. Uh, you can use it to expand short abbreviations, just a few letters into full snippets of text as long as you want. So like you can just type, uh, like for me, dash equals, which are right next to each other on the keyboard that, that puts in my email signature and it becomes just second nature, all these little shortcuts. But that's just the beginning. You can use text expander to trigger Apple scripts and shell scripts, which if you're nerdy, like I am, that you use that a lot. Um, I have quite a few of these, uh, kind of shell groups, snippet groups that you can find on, uh, brettherpshire.com slash te dash snippets. And, uh, I, I do, I do crazy stuff. You'll just have to go check it out. Text Expander also has fill in snippets, which lets you set variables in a snippet that you fill in on the fly. You can have text fields, pop up menus, options sections, uh, and all of it makes it really easy to automate a lot of the tedious work that goes into things like answering emails or any repetitive typing task. There's also really good date and math features, date and date math features. Um, you can, you can have it use the current date or you can say today plus three days and you can have sh- like shortcuts that automatically insert the date of the next meeting. It's cool stuff. Uh, text expander is also available for iOS as text expander touch because of the limitations of iOS. It doesn't work in the background like it does on the Mac, but the developers at smile create an SDK so that other apps can integrate text expander support. There are a ton of apps that are adding text expander store and it's growing every day. Um, including most of the leading iOS text editing apps. I even have a snippet group for Markdown that you can use with Text Expander Touch in Markdown uh, text editors. Text, text Expander is $34.95. You can find it at smile.com, um, smilesoftware.com, my bad. Uh, I think you can still go to smilesoftware.com slash systematic. I'm checking. Yeah, we'll do that. And, uh, and you can pick it up there and you'll be supporting systematic and five by five. All right. That brings us to my favorite part. Top three picks. Nice. I, I, I let the guests go first. So what's your first top pick, Marco? All right. I have a beer, a light bulb and, uh, an app. So I'll start with the app. Sounds like a MacGyver joke. <laughs> it really does. All right. So the app, um, is uh I don't know whether you've had this on the show yet. Uh I think you haven't. It's called Dash. It's a documentation viewer. You know it? I I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it, but I am very familiar with it. Yes. Okay. Love it's it. uh yeah, it's it's called Dash. It's a Mac app and it has this weird purple monster thing as the icon. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh but uh it you know you the the old way to look at documentation for me was using the Xcode organizer window, uh, which sucks and is slow. extremely slow. Yeah, that's the big thing. And uh, it and a lot of times it would be buggy, and I'd have to like switch over to just doing web searches and using the Safari versions of the documentation stuff when coding iOS stuff. And then I had this other app that I would use for PHP documentation when I was doing that, and it was and that app was pretty terrible. And so it, it was kind of just a mess. Um, and I, people kept saying, try dash, try dash. And I kept ignoring it saying, ah, I use the organizer. It's, it's okay enough, I guess. Um, and then I finally did somehow convince myself to try this. 
and I'm not going back. It is so good. <laughs> it really is. Like, the difference in speed is remarkable, uh, and, and that that alone, I think, is the biggest selling point, um, where you can just, like, whatever you type, it finds it pretty much immediately. It's exactly what you would want out of something like this. It works very, very well. Um, do you use the Xcode plugin? It. I don't. I I don't even do that. I, I, you know, this is one of the ways in which we differ. I really hate software, and I try to use as little of it as possible. <laughs> and and so, uh, I I I try to avoid plugins and and heavy customization and scripts and everything like that. I, I really just try to use things as stock as I can get away with, and and not be driven insane. And and so I will tolerate a lot of uh, slightly slightly extra work or slightly extra keystrokes. Uh, in order not to have something else installed that I have to think about, manage, and upgrade, and everything else, and so I don't even do that. And that, that's the same attitude that kept me away from Dash for so long. But believe me, once I tried, I was like, "Yeah, okay, this is this is definitely worth it." To be fair, that is the only Xcode plugin I'm currently using. It just makes it so when you option click a, a method, like it comes up instead of organizer, and that the option click thing is so ingrained for me. That I I would constantly be popping up the organizer. See, I've never even done that. I just I just copy and paste the method from <laughs> Xcode over to Dash and like. Okay. Yeah. No, but I, I, your way is totally better. But <laughs> but like for for you to have learned that, that would have to be like you know, a half less blog post that I've written ever. <laughs> and and like I I always err on the side of like eh, yeah I'll, I'll just. I'll just do the extra two keystrokes and not have to worry about the new, not have to worry about a new complexity. So do you know about like the, uh, the sets you can create? I forget what they call them. Um, what in dash? Yeah. You can create sets of different doc sets and then you can assign, you can have it automatically load a set to search as a group based on the application that's in the foreground and other rules. (laughs) <laughs> so when you're in Xcode, you can search your Mac and iOS documentation. When you're in Sublime, for me, that usually means I'm doing web coding, so it pops up Ruby, PHP, CSS3, <laughs> SAS. Like it pops like different sets based on whatever I'm in at the time, and I don't even have to type in the prefix to search what I need to search. Of course, you would know about this. <laughs> oh man, the more I found out about Doc or about Dash, the the more in love with that I was. I mean, I just I usually just leave it unspecified or leave it to iOS because I, I really have to look up PHP functions. I've been programming PHP forever, so I, I really have to look them up. And when I do look them up, usually the one the ones I will be looking up have like zero naming overlap to anything in Objective C, <laughs> uh, so it's not really a problem. I can just leave everything normal and it's fine. I have uh, I have iOS OS ten Ace View. Uh, Sundown, Bourbon, Backbone, C, CoffeeScript, Compass, Less, jQuery, UI, jQuery, jQuery Mobile, Man Pages, MongoDB. That's just through M. Uh, I have, oh my god! I have like fifty doc sets in here, and I use most of them. There's some in six. here that are things that I want to learn. <laughs> I literally have six, and it's like two Xcodes, two OS tens, one iOS, and PHP. That's it. You're you're a a, a minimalist, I guess. Not intentionally. <laughs> it's, it's it's more that I I haven't learned a new web language in way too long, and I really should. I'm not saying that you should program anything in PHP these days. I, I think I, I think it, I it gets forever. it gets an unnecessarily bad rap because modern PHP really is quite advanced. However, I still wouldn't call it good. I would just call it advanced. 
you know it's it's like it, you know like uh like visual basic six visual basic six was a very advanced platform a lot of people made a lot of stuff in that that worked just fine but it, it was not good it was <laughs> capable but it wasn't it wasn't a good language and it wasn't a good platform that's how php is it's you can do perfectly fine stuff in it you can do great stuff in it, and lots of people do use it and it can be used well uh, which is which is something that most people don't give it credit for it, it can very much be used well and and uh i wouldn't say it always is or even that it frequently is but yeah, there are a lot of people over engineered right oh and yeah modern php with like the way zen does it with which is basically like ripped off of java oh. where everything has 19 different levels of class yes. hierarchy and oh my god no i don't do that at all mine is mine is much flatter and you know, I use objects, but I don't. I don't have very many subclasses of anything. Um, I use exceptions pretty lightly, and uh, yeah, I, my my PHP looks nothing like Zen's or old PHP. It looks much more, much more like modern web frameworks. But uh, I really should just, you know, I, I I think what what keeps me stuck on PHP is that the competitive languages so far haven't been different enough to make me throw away like a decade of experience with this. And so, you know, I'm thinking of things like Python and Ruby, you know, like people, people like to like to profess that those, that, that whichever one of those they like is miles better than the others plus PHP. And, and it's just not, it's not, they aren't in, in actual usage. They aren't that different for making most web, most, most kinds of web apps. They're all kind of the same class of language. They all have the same, Roughly the same limitations, roughly the same capabilities. There are some, you know, differences, minor differences here and there, but they really are more minor than most people give them credit for. Um, so I decided to, you know, I'd rather master one language ridiculously well than know a whole bunch of languages like half-assed. And so that's what I've done with, with PHP. And then I think the next thing I learn for the web should be dramatically different. Something like Node, for instance. I was just going to say, it sounds like you're talking about Node. Yeah, Node is probably what I should go to next, um, but I don't. As a result of my both laziness and conservatism in this kind of thing, um, I don't use languages when they're new and cool. Usually, I wait until they're a little bit boring, and then I jump in. And that's when the tools are much more stable, the platforms are much more stable. You don't have to do much for your servers. You know, like the servers basically run themselves. Like you know, there's not a lot of like constant updating and changing of things and, and, and not you're a sure lot of, your 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 code won't be obsolete a year later exactly well all code is obsolete a year later but you know it, <laughs> you try it's to minimize still workable it. though yeah like you know I, I try to wait until things have matured and settled a little bit before jumping in like php was huge i think from like 2001 ish it, it's pretty old it's been around for a long time and it, it was really huge then and i didn't even do any php until like 2003 and I didn't start doing it full time until 2006, and and you know, I, I was I was able to in 2006 I was able to like basically start with PHP five, and and be like really advanced in what the what the language could do. Everything was super stable. It was really easy to to work with. So I will probably jump into one of the new things, most likely Node, um, at some point in like you know three years probably. <laughs> nice. All right. All right, moving along, I'll do my first pick, which is completely different, completely off topic. It's the uh, Two Hounds Design Freedom No Pull Harness. It's a dog harness. Oh, I just bought. Oh. 
literally, so we've had our dog. He's three now. We bought one harness when he was little, and I just today bought a second one because we, we left the first one uh, upstate. Well, let me tell you why you bought the wrong one. Uh, what's this called? I'm going to look it up as you're talking. It's the Freedom No Pull Harness from Two Numeral Two Hounds Design. And every every part of the harness is adjustable, so you can get a perfect fit on any dog. And then it's got a velvet-lined chest strap, so you don't get chafing. And it's got the two chest and and back uh, uh, D-rings where you can attach one leash or you can attach a, a leash with two hooks or two clips to both of the... Uh, D-rings and use them almost like reins for a dog that pulls a lot when you're training. It gives you the ability to really control their pull and where they're going. Um, it's a, basically a really good training tool in addition to being a very solid harness. Oh, this is great. This comes with my wife's, who's a, uh, work, she works for the ASPCA and is a professional dog trainer. This comes with her full endorsement. Oh, this is so much better than the crap I get at whatever. <laughs> And it's not bad at 30 bucks. That's, oh man. I think I might return the one I bought today and get this. <laughs> they have sizes all the way up to a 250 pound dog. I mean, my dog is, is very small and, and pretty, uh, I mean, he's well, not, he, not very small. He's like 17 pounds. And, and then on, uh, outside of the 17 pounds, there's like two inches of fluff all around. Um, so he's, he's, he looks like a larger, heavier dog than he really is, but he's also, you know, at 17 pounds, he's not that tiny. Uh, and so, uh, but he's, he's also very, very mellow. And, uh, so I wouldn't need the second part of this, like the second hook I would never use, no, you probably wouldn't. but I bet just using the top hook, this is still a way better looking harness than what I found in pet whatever. I'd be willing to bet that a 17 pound dog is actually pretty hard to fit, like to get a snug fit on a harness. Yeah, because he's like between sizes. Yeah, yeah. It's it, I mean, you, you know, they have, you have to get an adjustable one, of course, and then it's yeah. even then it's not easy. All right. Well, that's my recommendation. My my dog recommendation for the week. That's pretty good. All right. My second pick is the uh, this it's this is an LED bulb. So uh, LED light bulbs have been around for a while now, uh, and we've we've seen them mature in the last couple of years in the 40 and 60 watt categories. So like the regular shape, I think, I believe it's called a 19. Is it the regular like light bulb shape in, in the U S um, 40 and 60 watt bulbs have, have been settled forever. Uh, well, not forever. They've been settled in the last couple of years. Uh, Phillips makes some very popular ones. I don't like the Phillips color tone very much. Um, the new Cree ones at home Depot that are like 12 bucks are awesome. I have lots of them. The 60 watt category is fine. It is overserved. It is it is mature and you can get lots of good options. The hundred watt category is not yet. Um, and this is important in the U S especially because as of a couple of weeks ago, hundred watt incandescents just became illegal to, uh, to make and sell, I believe. And, and so you can, you, know, you can still run them, but you can't, you're gonna have a hard time buying new ones. And like, like our friend Merlin, I like nice bright light. And so I have a number of uh, 100 watt fixtures in my house that I've had to use CFLs in, and CFLs are the worst thing ever. I hate CFLs with a passion because mm-hmm. they're just they're just horrible in every possible way. Uh, <laughs> they have zero redeeming qualities, literally zero. Like when they came out, you know, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, when they started becoming popular, that was fine. They had their time. That time is over. We have better things now. Uh, so 
the 100 watt led bulb category is still young but i finally found a good one it is called switch 100 switch is in all capitals and 100 is next to it with no spacing so just switch 100 one big all capitals word um the switch brand has a bunch of other ones but that's like that's the model it's the switch 100 brand and they have uh they have, they have a frosted 3000K one and a clear 4000K one, I think. Um, the clear cooler temperature one is the better one of the two. It's not super blue and weirdly tacky. It is, it is a nice, fairly neutral white. It is not super warm in, in temperature. The I do have one of the warm frosted 3000K ones. Um, it's decent, but the color is slightly yellow-green for my taste. Um, so... If you if you can tolerate trying a four thousand K temperature bulb, try the clear switch switch one hundred LED bulb. Um, it's about fifty five dollars still, so you know you don't buy a whole lot of them yet. But if you have like like I, I have this pole lamp next to my desk, it's always on. It's just it's one of those seven dollar IKEA knot lamps, and, and I've had it for years and has a nice hundred watt bulb in it. So my desk area is always very well lit, and at, that use that was my last CFL in the house was the bulb in that fixture. Because I needed it to be super bright. Now I've, I have this LED bulb. It's awesome, and uh, it is it is better than the CFL. It's even brighter. And uh, so, if you have any of those like twenty three watt CFLs lying around that you want to get rid of, and you're willing to spend fifty five dollars on it, uh, mm-hmm. try this. I actually am. I've been looking for a, a a new set of bulbs. My problem is I have everything. I've converted most of my X ten stuff to Insteon now, and I've been using Insteon bulbs. Are you familiar with this stuff? Is that like like remote control dimmers and stuff? What, what is yeah, that? like when I walk into my office, my lights dim on, and when I leave, they dim off automatically. <laughs> of course, and mine course. are manually controlled. This is this is so <laughs> us right here. This <laughs> defines us. But uh, but yeah, I I could switch it back to a, a plug in module. I want to try this. I do. My office is never bright enough for my taste. Yeah, like I have. I'm, oh, one one big thing about the switch bulbs too. So I have. My office, I have that one pole lamp in the corner, and then on the ceiling, I have these two globes that each take three 60-watt bulbs, and they're all enclosed, you know, in glass. Yeah. And if you put LED bulbs into an enclosed glass fixture, especially with multiple bulbs in that same glass fixture, they will overheat and they will die quickly. As I found, I've gone through many bulbs that have died in these fixtures <laughs> because they just they run too hot for them, and it shortens their life, and, and they flake out. And most bulbs actually say... That they're not recommended for use in enclosed fixtures. Uh, these Switch 100 bulbs are, and they, there's, there's also there's a Switch 75. Um, so I finally was able to put because like one of the reasons I use LEDs is, is to save electricity. The main reason I use them though is because, and this is why I used to use CFLs as well, because it l- allows me to hack the fixture basically and put in a, a brighter bulb than the fixture would normally specify for. Because you know you don't want to draw too much power and cause a fire risk, but if it says sixty watt max, you can put in like a twenty five watt LED and get a ton of light out of that thing. <laughs> so uh, that's how I use it. So just to add more light, and so my my globes on my ceiling, I've burned through tons of worse LED bulbs uh, that claim they would last forever, and they didn't because they were in an enclosed fixture. Um, but the switch bulbs claim to work. I've run them for a few months so far, and so far they have worked. Nice. You can buy a six pack for just three hundred dollars, which will save you thirty dollars over the normal price. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's awesome. And, and remind me now, you said you prefer the clear over the frosted. 
yeah, the, the frost the frosting coating does look nicer, uh, and and they because of, you can see the clear design, you can see how basically it's like it's a bunch of tiny points point LEDs inside of this like solid glass globe on the end of this thing, and so you can see them. So it's I wouldn't recommend these if it's if it's one of those fixtures where you are looking at the bulb. Um, you know, like in mine, in the case of a pole lamp, which, you know, it's like the typical flower shaped pole lamp. So there's just this cone on top facing up. So you don't see the bulb. So it's fine. If it's any kind of exposed bulb thing, these would probably look too harsh. So I wouldn't recommend them for that. Got it. All right. Light bulbs and apps and, oh, here's my next one is pushover and dogs always with the dogs. Uh, pushover. Uh, it's a service and an app for iPhone, and I think they do Android. And it's it's like um, it's like Prowl and Boxcar, where you can send push notifications to uh, mobile devices. And what I love about Pushover is it has a really really simple API that you can script into anything you want to notify you, like anything that happens on your computer or that you can detect with your computer you can send yourself a notification about. And yes, I, I use them sparingly because I don't like too many notifications. But for things like when my Jekyll blog does an automated compile, it'll notify me when it's deploying so I can go check the site. Uh, and I can set what URL so the notification will come up on my phone. I tap the notification and it takes me straight to my live site so I can see that everything's cool. Um, and that's that's basically... It's free. It's easy. I love it. Yeah, this looks. I'm uh, looking at these uh, at their site. It's pushover.net. Uh, it looks like it has. Uh, it's very Stripe-like in its its API description and how it's just like a. It's just basically a URL call, and you can mm-hmm. you know script it with curl and and whatever yep. else supports curl. Very Stripe-like, and that, that's a compliment. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's just it's super easy to use. I can script it into anything. All right, my my final, well, not really my final, my third pick <laughs> tonight <laughs> is uh, it's a beer, as promised. Um, it is the Left Hand Milk Stout from Left Hand Brewing, I believe is the company name. Um, it, it has like you know purple hands all over the label. It, you, you know it if you see it. Um, Left Hand Milk Stout is very very good, and they have another one called Left Hand Nitro that is newer and getting very popular very quickly. Uh, basically it is a nice dark milk stout. It is like, it is not especially strong. It is flavorful, but it's also inoffensive. And so it has very (laughs) wide general appeal. This is the kind of thing, like if you're having your in-laws over for dinner, you can offer that you can offer them this and they're not going to be like, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, a ridiculous IPA that, you know, most people are going to dislike at first. Um, so it's a left-hand milk stout, general appeal. And then, it also um, the nitro. It, it you know you, you ever seen the Guinness cans that have the stupid ping pong ball thing in them? And then yeah. they they try to foam up. Mm-hmm. They left hand brewing figured out how to do this without the ping pong ball. And so there's there's a, there, it's the same stout. It's called nitro. It's just like a different packaging method, I guess. And, you know, it's in bottles, but and so you the bottle it's just like a regular bottle, and you just the instructions are to just open it and immediately just pour it like straight down as hard as you can, pour it into a glass. And which seems like it would foam over and blow up, but it doesn't. It forms a nice thick head on top, you know, like a good Guinness from a bar. Um, and it's it's I would say the the quality of the foam is just as good as Guinness. Um, and overall, the the left hand milk stout slash nitro is a really good alternative and you know 
arguably upgrade from Guinness. So it's like it's like a nice everyday drinking stout. Hmm. All right. I I like my stouts extremely strong and very offensive, but I am curious <laughs> about the nitro part. It's really good. You know, it's as like, you know, it's not it's not like an incredibly dense beer, but it is it, the flavor is nicely complex. It, it's it's nicely it's just a nice upgrade from like a Guinness, you know? And so it's the kind of thing when you, when you just want like an everyday kind of thing and you don't, and it's, you know, it's reasonably priced for a six pack, you know? So it, you know, it's not like super special. It comes in regular size bottles. So you can drink it. If you're just by yourself at home watching TV, you know, you can, like <laughs> you can have say one. that you drink it every day. And then you say you drink alone. I'm starting to worry about you. <laughs> no, I don't drink it every day, but I do. It, it is my go-to <laughs> beer for recording my podcast. Usually, I have I have one beer while recording my podcast, and that is like my my traditional one for the show. Nice. All right. Well, I'll see your beer, and I will raise you a bluegrass band. Nice. Um, my third pick for the week is the Johnson Family Band, which you can find on Spotify, probably on iTunes. But if you ever get a chance to see them live, that's the way to do it. Uh, these guys are, uh, just uh, like seeing them on stage, you get a, like this blast of collective moonshine breath in the face and they're sweating and they're just plucking away and it is high energy, just really raw bluegrass and, uh, they have great lines. Um, there's a song, if, if you go to Spotify or RDO or whatever and you look up, uh, in my coffee, that is, that it, the recording does not do the song justice, but if you see it live with lines like, if I could turn water into wine, you know, I'd go swimming all the time, be dancing with the devil in the rain. It's just drunk bluegrass. That's the best guy. Oh, it's the only real kind. Anything <laughs> beyond that's just hippie folk music. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just folk music with banjos added, basically. All right. Well, I'm done. You you had you you hinted that you wanted to go over three. We're at an hour and twenty minutes right now. You can pick one more. I told you it'd be ninety minutes. Did I say that? <laughs> yeah, you did. All right, I, I'm going to go through all three because the first two are quick. Um, so I had these bonus picks that I, I was that I was pretty sure your audience will have already heard of. Uh, positive, they've already heard of. Um, but I wanted to reiterate how good they are for anybody who's holding out and hasn't tried them or doesn't use them yet. Um, the first two, very simple. Uh, the TextMate 2 Alpha, which is awesome, and TextMate 2 is my primary editor. It has been since, was it two years ago they launched the first Alpha, or just one? I think I, it was two I, years ago. I think it has been two years. Yeah, so it, I've been using it the whole time. It's been fine. It's been great. Um, I like it. I, I did briefly use uh, Sublime. And I tried Chocolat back, you know, back then, but I didn't like it that much. I used Sublime for a bit. TextMate just fits me better. It's just a really good editor. And if you if you gave up on it back in the 1.x days and haven't tried the 2.0 Alpha yet, give it a try. It's it's pretty good. the The settings are still pretty obtuse. You still have to do some Google searching for, to figure out things that should be basic, like how do I change the font size, stuff like that. But <laughs> Um, but it's really good. Like once you get it set up the way you want, it's really, really good. I want so badly to. It would be like coming home to a warm embrace. But I, I just, I haven't. I don't know. I haven't taken the time to get over the initial setup hump yet, which was my yeah, the problem. Setup is with ridiculous. The one, <laughs> but, but really, give it a try. I mean, because you used to be a big text guy, right? I was a huge text guy. Right, you were like the text. So yeah, give it a try. <laughs> I, I think. 
it's worth it, and it really is. It really is a good editor. So the second pick is uh, Solver on the Mac. Uh, they they have iOS versions. I don't. I hardly ever use them because I hardly ever need to. But Solver on the Mac is. I always have this app open. I will keep beating the drum on this app until every single person out there has it. Whoever does anything on their computer that involves numbers, which uh, is a lot of people, you have to try Solver. Please, for the love of everything, try it. Remove calculator from your workflow. Never launch calculator. It's terrible. Just never launch it. What year is this? Come on. Use Solver. Just try it. Trust me. If I am working, Solver is open. Simple as that. <clears throat> I will say that I'm not great at advanced math, but Solver lets me think kind of out loud and and do more complex calculations in a way that works with my more uh, English-oriented brain. Yeah, it's it's a lot, and, and I don't even use most of the language features of it. I use it mostly just as like a notepad for numbers and calculation. And so it's you know spreadsheet. It it, it has a lot of the value of a spreadsheet, but without the formalism of like I'm going to open a new document now and I'm going to structure this document like this and make this table. No, and it's I'm going to make that. a sum formula. Exactly. It it's it's what you'd expect from like a calculator notepad, really, and it's. It changes the way you work in in a small but incredibly useful way. <laughs> it and it really is its own category of app. You know, it's not a notepad, it's not a spreadsheet. It's between those two things, and and it's not and it's not a calculator either. It's 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 the it's between it's the intersection of those three points: notepad, spreadsheet, calculator. And it is so useful if you ever do quick calculations for anything. And I have found myself using it. A lot of times where I would have previously used a spreadsheet, I use Solver instead, and it's just faster and easier. So, All big, right, so that's five now. And my final pick, because we still have like <laughs> one minute, my final pick, um, I have, have to give... have a whole sponsor to do yet. Take your time. Oh, then do that, and then I'll do the final pick. Oh, you want to close with a pick? We will we'll build suspense. Do you want to close with a sponsor? That's, that's dull. You're right. You're right. So... <laughs> not, not that a, your sponsor's dull or anything, you know. But. I have, I have to warn you this sponsor script starts with questions, but they're not necessarily directed towards you. Okay. <laughs> you can answer if you want to. I might. Are you still using Word or Excel to create invoices? <laughs> Wait, Do you use a shoebox? Can you create an invoice with Excel? Is that even possible? <laughs> I don't know. Word, I understand why they'd ask about Word, because people use Word for God knows what. They use it for like sending images by email. They'll put it in Word. But Excel. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'll I'll get back to you on that. Do you use a shoebox of receipts to keep track of your expenses? I don't. I, I don't either. But I don't keep track of my expenses very well. Period. Yeah, I just deduct almost nothing. It's a lot easier. <laughs> but you can save time and get paid faster with FreshBooks, which is the easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time. FreshBooks is the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs, even balls-in entrepreneurs, uh, and small business owners just like you save time billing and get paid faster. With FreshBooks, you can easily create invoices online, capture and track expenses on the go, and get real-time business reports with a few simple clicks. You can try FreshBooks for free. (laughs) Oh, man. Let me try that again. You can try FreshBooks for free. Sign up free today at getfreshbooks.com. And here's the delicious part. FreshBooks is doing uh, 
Oh, I should start that line over too because I put a comma where I shouldn't have. Okay, here's the delicious part. FreshBooks is doing for systematic listeners. Every day they're giving a birthday cake away to someone who signs up for a new account from this show. That's awesome. For, for you to win, enter systematic in the how did you hear about us section when signing up for your new account. With FreshBooks, every day could be your birthday. So sign up at getfreshbooks.com. It is an interesting promotion. I think the funniest part of that is like, yeah, you know, imagine imagine having to explain to your spouse why this cake just arrived in the mail for you in the middle of the year. You get to explain that you are doing more advanced invoicing and you're going to get paid faster and you got a cake. <laughs> nice. All right, so give me give me uh one more pick and then uh then I'll tell all the people who don't know how to find you where to find you. All right. Final pick is uh, no stranger to this world, especially no stranger to anybody who listens to Mac Power users. Uh, it is the Fujitsu ScanSnap document scanner. Now, I I bought an, uh, the S510M model, which was new and awesome six years ago uh, when I bought it. Uh, it is the oldest computer component that I own that I still use regularly. Uh, it still works fantastically, and it, there's like no end in sight. Like as far as I can tell, this six-year-old ScanSnap. Uh, is going to keep working for another, you know. So I, I used it. I checked this morning, so, so I could make a note here. I've scanned uh, sixty six hundred fifty seven sheets so far. So I'm, I'm scanning roughly a thousand sheets a year. Um, I, I basically I scan every piece of paper that comes in that I think might be useful in the future. I scan it, and then I shred it, and then I recycle it. So all this paper is scanned i have you know it's part of my regular document so it gets backed up if i ever need anything in the future you know i don't have to worry about you know losing this in in like a house fire or anything like that you know just everything is scanned everything is saved everything is indexed and searchable with ocr and all that crap um and it's just awesome i i love this thing you know there are there have been a lot of things like neat and everything and uh, you know some of like these like newer um, oftentimes smaller and cheaper document scanners. Uh, they do they do different tricks with the software. Like some of them will upload directly to Dropbox or whatever. I don't use that stuff. I I just want to scan things to my computer. And if that's what you want, the Fujitsu hardware really is in a whole other class. I mean, it's you, you know it's it's not especially sexy, and it's not especially you know recognizable or pronounceable, but. The Fujitsu hardware is really a completely other class of these document scanners. Like it scans both sides at once directly to a PDF. It's fast. I mean, it's it's just it's crazy useful. And I have again, I brought it with me to all these different apartments I lived in over the last six years, and finally the house. Like it's it just it holds up. It's useful. I use it almost every day. Every time I get something in the mail, and uh, I would not go back to my old system of a giant file cabinet full of paper that I have to organize like, oh, these are the electric bills for the year and all that crap. No, I just scan everything, shred it, I'm done. I'm so glad to say that I scan so little. I get, like everything for me is, is paperless. I have just about everything online. And the I, I still have my original doxy and, and that is for the two times a year I scan anything. But I have heard nothing but good stuff about the scan snap. Yeah, it's you know, it's like if you, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you if you're as paperless as you, you probably don't need it. Um, but if you still do get a lot of stuff as paper, especially if you if you kind of have to, if if you if there's certain things you can't make paperless, um, it's just so nice. And it, you know, did you just cut out? Oh, sorry. 
weird uh weird thing all right i really can't say like how how good this is it is it, it changes the way you deal with paperwork and your personal filing and everything and there's not a lot of things that that i use that i've used the same piece of technology for six years like <laughs> like do you is there any hardware that you use regularly that's that that's that old that's not like a speaker or headphones mm, no i don't think so like everything else, I, I even have new speakers and headphones compared to when I bought this thing. Like it, <laughs> it's, it just lasts forever. And so they're, they're like 400 bucks new. But so, you know, it's a, it's a big investment, but it, it lasts. So definitely recommend it. Nice. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Let's do it. It's been a great pleasure having you here. Uh, you can be found as Marco Arment on Twitter and app.net. You blog at marco.org. And your podcast, Accidental Tech Podcast, can be found at atp.fm. Anything else you want to throw in there? You got it. That's it. Oh, I'm good. I was prepared this time. Soon I'm going to want to promote Overcast, but it's not actually out yet, so there's nothing it to say. It does have yet. a website, though. I'll, I'll, I'll throw a link into the, uh, the, the promo website. Here you go. Yeah, there's, there's almost no information whatsoever on the website right now. That's okay. When there but, is, that link will still exist, and you'll get the Google juice. There you go. All right. Well, thanks a ton for showing up. Hey, thanks a lot. It was fun. Yeah, it has been. It's great talking to you. And I am Brett Terpstra. I can be found as TT Scoff just about everywhere. Feel free to contact me through the 5x5 forums. And uh, if you want to record an introduction, say hi and possibly be on the podcast, uh, just let me know what you're all about at brettterpstra.com slash audio drop. Just drop any audio file in there. And uh, I'm at brettterpstra.com. And we'll see everybody in a week, and hopefully I'll have my voice back. Thanks for listening.